much. And he said more, it's the nerve to pray, the nerve to ask such things of such a mighty and holy God. But today, I want to go back and pick up that question of persistence. And the parable that we'll be looking at today in Luke 18, if you'll turn there to Luke 18, will indeed address persistence in prayer. So if you would, as you turn to Luke 18, pray with me this morning and for me as I preach. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your word. I thank you that it has brought yet another message to us again this week. I thank you that it's here for us every day. And Lord, forgive us for the ways that we will take it for granted and neglect it. But I pray we would not do so this morning, that you would open our eyes to it as we open it. And you would meet with us, Lord, that you would be here in this place. To speak to us from your word, dear Lord, guard my mouth and help me to speak clearly uh, to these people today and that it would be a blessing to them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So it has happened to all of us in one way or the other, probably. We've all seen it. Perhaps it was your phone company. Perhaps it was a contractor. Perhaps it was Allstate or State Farm. For my beautiful wife, Renee, it was a blood lab, her doctor, and her insurance company. That triangle of confusion, finger-pointing, and guessing. As you might have all had happen to you, The bill was wrong. Injustice came to our door in the form of an invoice that was incorrect. A charge to be paid that was supposed to be covered by the insurance. But then why was it not? And she begins to call. She calls the lab. She calls the doctor's office. She calls the insurance company. And they all start pointing fingers at one another and saying, well, this was supposed to be done with the referrals. Oh, but we did that with the referral. What did you do with it? And just this ring around the rosy. Anyone dealt with some customer service issues like this? Been passed off? You've, You've long learned from the scarring to keep a list of everyone you spoke to and the timestamp, and you just hope and pray that they actually did record that call for quality purposes. We've all been there. As she began this issue, it became a multiple-month-long quest for requesting justice, requesting that the incorrect bill be espunged. But you know what? As she went through these processes, she continued requesting honest answers and accountability Answers came really slow, and she would say multiple times to me through the process, it would be so much easier just to pay it. Does anyone know this feeling? And what ultimately happened is, from, from this process, she was worn down by this recurring injustice that she saw, this lack of accountability that she saw, and her helplessness in it, And she was worn down and she lost heart for even making the request. Jesus 
teaches us today in this parable that the same thing can happen to us. He teaches us that as we make requests to God and we feel helpless and we may not see it coming to fruition as we see the injustices that concern our hearts and we appeal to Him, when it's not answered right away, our our hearts can lose heart. And we can get to a point we don't even want to make the request anymore and this can hinder our prayer life. So we see in the first verse... 18, chapter 1, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So the context of this parable, before I even begin with the parable itself, I want us to know in chapter 17, he has been teaching them about the the end times, the, the time that Jesus will return. And so as we address this parable, we need to know that it is framed out in a context of waiting for the return. So what he's telling us is that as we wait for this return, we're going to see injustice that disturbs us. And that injustice that disturbs us will perhaps tend to keep us from prayer. So I might ask you today, what are the injustices that you might see? As I think through the sphere or multiple spheres that we live in, I thought first of like a national political level. Many of you probably, I say many, some of you can remember back to Roe v. Wade, and it's very fresh in your mind, the indignation in the church about this decision on abortion in this country. The church couldn't believe what had happened, and their their hearts were broken for the soul of this nation, and there was an outcrying and a praying to God, and they couldn't believe the injustice. But then, through the years, what probably has happened for many of us, we don't even think about it anymore. We've been worn down by the fact that this injustice is ongoing. And thus, our prayers do not rise the way they did at first. Some of you who have lived in the city a long time, perhaps your hearts have really always been somewhat worn down by the violence that you see. The violence in the streets of Chicago, the gangs and all that, I understand it's far better in Humble Park than it used to be. So maybe because it got better, you're actually rejoicing. Praise the Lord for the help he has brought. But still, the cases that we see don't touch us the way that they used to. We're not shocked. Or even on a a broad scale outside the city, uh, we hear about another mass shooting and It just kind of seems normative, and we're so worn down by it that we don't even think to pray for justice on it. I think of teachers in schools here. We have so many teachers in Good News Bible Church. And how when you first got into a classroom and you saw some of these kids and what the case might be with those kids, the parenting that you can tell is not going on. Some of them, the feeding of the child, you can tell is not going on. And it is unjust and it's not right and it's disturbing you. And now somewhere year 10, 15, 20 of teaching and being around these kids, it just doesn't hit home like it used to. And it doesn't make its way to our prayers like it may be used to. And we're worn down from the injustice. 
Uh, this can go on to the workplace where perhaps a boss is completely out of line and, and using his power in the worst sorts of ways and getting away with it and you can't believe it. And you don't even think about praying for that injustice in your workplace. We could go on and on, uh, even to home. How many families have that one family member that you just get tired of the way that they bleed and they drain the family? Perhaps they fall into drugs and alcohol. It just seems like they can always come and mooch off of someone else and suck the life and take the energy out of someone else in the family. And you feel it's just unjust what's going on. But it's happened for so many years, you just doesn't get to prayer. So I hope I make my point this morning that all of us do fall into this category somewhere of, of these injustices that become so normative that we fail to bring before the throne. So to help us keep heart and to keep praying about it, Jesus brings us a parable this morning. Look at it with me, verses 1 through 5. Now he, Jesus, was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest she continually wear me out with her constant coming. In our parable, we are first introduced to this character, this unjust judge. He seems from the beginning like the worst sort you could really imagine. He believes himself, as many people we might know, to be in no accountability to God and no accountability to man. He just does not care. He is clearly self-absorbed and grasping at his power, which is what makes the case all the worse. Not only does he have this complete lack of character, but he is holding the role of a judge that affects so many other people. This would have been, to Jesus' audience, actually a fairly familiar thing. I understand from my reading this week that unjust judges or corrupt judges were a very common thing going on in Israel around this time. People reaching out for sordid gain. It's all part of kind of this this, uh, alliance they would have with Rome. So they're... A foot in both worlds are usually a Jew, but like the tax collectors, maybe sold out a little bit to Rome and in good with the authorities there. It's just this corrupt setting. And this corrupt man is the one that is making determinations, judgments over the issues of people's lives. One of those people is this destitute widow. And it was noted by MacArthur as I studied this week that she must be a widow indeed because she is going to court to talk to this judge. At this time period, women didn't get to go to court. As wrong as that is, this wouldn't just happen. She can't just go make her own case. She needs 
either her son, if she had one, or her brother, or some distant relative, somebody to come along and be taking up her case. But we find this widow with absolutely no one to be going to the judge for her. She is truly alone and destitute. And as she's alone and destitute, she is seeking help from this judge because she has an opponent or an adversary, depending on your translation. And in this culture, in Jewish culture, it was very clear that widows were to be taken care of and treated with respect. And so we find this destitute widow in this posture of being attacked by one complete lowlife who has no respect for humanity and the guy who's supposed to be able to help is also a complete lowlife who doesn't want to help. She could not really find herself in any more of a helpless, destitute situation. It is a wonder that after making first appeals to this judge and being turned down, because the text is clear on that, that she had been coming to him and at first he was unwilling, the, the tense of the verb makes it seem like probably recurring. She had come. Recurring, he had denied her. Don't you wonder why she didn't just give up? I cannot imagine continuing to maintain hope in those circumstances. And we have to remember, it is it's definitely an option. that She could just lay down and take this. Deal with the injustice. Be beat upon. Pushed around. Trampled over. But she chooses another way in this parable. She chooses to continue coming to this unjust judge. What could drive this kind of recurring coming? Somewhere inside of this widow, there is hope. Hope because she knows that the judge has the ability, the authority, the power to help her. If only he was willing. And so, armed with hope and this faith and this trust that this judge can get it done, that's all that she needs to be sparked and fueled enough to keep coming to him. And then, of course, what's the effect? This judge, though he neither fears God nor man, is affected by this. He gets tired of it. He says that she is bothering him. The language here in the Greek, and maybe stronger than yours, uh, translations vary, but it's the idea that she keeps pounding him. One translator says it might be, even be put well to say his fear is, she's going to come and give me a black eye if I don't give this crazy lady what she wants. And so he concedes. And he takes up her cause against this opponent. Likely some kind of a defrauding matter. Honestly, it's hard to know. But whatever the case, he takes up her cause enough to help her with her case and send her on his, her way. What I want us to see in this first look at the parable, guys, is that this is a sad story. This is not 
a simple case of persistence triumphing and bringing home the W. This woman has been granted help for her immediate case and condition. But look at the state that she is still in. She expended all this time, all this energy just to get this justly done. And not to put this too harshly, but still no one in this story cares about her. The judge does not like her nor take up her cause again. He's just ready to be rid of her. The opponent is not sorry. And she is still left a destitute widow. So I want us to see there's layers going on here, right? There's a clear point that persistence in requests will wear down, even earthly speaking, the hardest of hearts. And you guys know this. I've learned this much in my work. One of the things that I have to do at my job is work with outside furniture contractors for the Moody Bible Institute. So I have to talk to these guys and get quotes from our rep, right? Well, it didn't take me long to learn that when I sent off to get a quote, that one week would bleed into two, would bleed into three, if I didn't keep hitting that rep with emails to get my quote back, right? Because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But humanly speaking, there's only so much that the human grease can do for you, even right? Your need will often surpass human ability, okay? So here's why I want to bring some of this together for us today. The injustice that we see as we wait for the return of Christ that so troubles us, the injustice that keeps us from coming to God, I want us to be careful lest we ever fall into the pit of not praying about it Because we're trusting men for it. If we think the answer to Roe v. Wade and bringing justice on that matter is simply political leaders or political parties, we will continually be disappointed. Has anyone felt it? If we continue to look for the answer to violence in the city to be a mayor with better policies and a police force that's more active, we will continually be disappointed. They can only react. They cannot stop it, and they certainly can't make right so many damages done. If we look to some government uh, bureaucracy to settle up with these parents that will not parent their kids, we will not see kids truly parented and loved. It's not enough. The injustices that we face, the things that are wrong in this world are scars, they are problems that run so much deeper than any unjust human judge, even if he was willing, even if we could come to his door day and night and wear him down, he could never set the situation right. So I want to remind us this morning as we look at this text that one of the ultimate things we should always be praying Because no one on earth can fix it. That's what puts us on our knees before God is we recognize, as the widow did, where the power to help our problem comes from. And we can't be looking down here alone. Now, let me just let me pause enough. Some of you may be thinking, well, can't those human institutions help and can't God use them? Yes, he can. And he can do a lot to bring justice through them even now in this life. I don't want to deny that. But the true setting of things right 
The true hope of the heart of the believer is in the kingdom coming in its fullness in the return of Christ. And we're going to see a reference to that soon in verse 8. So I want us to remember to look to God, not to men for this injustice to find satisfaction. So as we look to then, okay, we need God instead of man. And if what I've told you so far about the parable is it basically teaches us not to look to man, how does it teach us to look to God? And as we look at that, we're going to see a really neat thing about this parable versus some others. Uh, Parables tend to look like uh, just inserting a character for another, and it likens God and man and other people or angels to characters in them. It is usually a one-to-one likeness. But this parable functions in a contrast, not a likeness. Look with me in verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, what can give us boldness in prayer, what can keep us having heart in prayer, is first of all, knowing who we pray to. I have no idea how the widow in our parable kept heart praying, knowing she prayed to such an unjust judge, or seeking help from an unjust judge. But friends, we're not in her shoes, because we do not approach an unjust judge. We approach a just God. Amen? We approach a perfectly righteous, good, dependable God. And if we believe that, that can help keep our posture towards him, knowing that whenever we bring a request seeking justice, we agree with him. We do not try to coerce him. That makes sense. He wants justice too. Unlike the unjust judge who really couldn't care less about the justice of the matter, we approach a God who hates injustice. He hates sin. He hates lies. He hates defrauding. He hates all of these things. And he wants to set it right more than we do. So in our motivation, in our assurance that we know who we pray to, remember that we approach a good God who cares more than we do. Another thing that is different in this text is that for the widow, she approaches a stranger. She is a destitute widow with no advocate who approaches a stranger. For us, as The children of God, we do not approach a God we do not know. The text says, how much more will God give justice and be patient with his elect? His elect. That idea is being called out, being chosen, being called his own, as we are. And it's not used in this parable, but because the imagery really hasn't come up in Scripture yet. But I want us to think about the profundity of the flip here. The whole parable goes on its head. Friends, in the church, we are not a destitute widow with no advocate. We are the bride of Christ. 
with an advocate in the person of Jesus Christ who will come rushing for us to defend us, to love on us. So think of that different stance that we have, that assurance that we can have that He cares for us. How many husbands in here, your wife comes to you and says that there is an aggressor, that there is an opponent, that there is an adversary who seeks her harm. I trust that every man in here would be the first to say, I'm going to step in there. I'm going to defend my wife. I'm going to attack that man. I'm going to make this a non-issue for her, right? That's your heart anyway. Now, sometimes the law restrains you, which is a good thing. (laughs) Right? And we have to even restrain ourselves. And what I want you to picture is that when people do unjust things in this world, especially when they are attacking his church... When his church is hurt, when his church is threatened, I want you to be able to picture Jesus Christ, our advocate, our bridegroom in heaven, being restrained, just saying to the Father, tell me when the time and day is, because I will go back and I will unleash the wrath of God on the great and mighty day of the Lord, and I will bring reckoning to those who attack my church. See, Jesus is a good bridegroom, and he loves us and his bride, and his heart is... For us is to defend us and to care for us. So we need to remember whom we pray to if we're not to lose heart. We need to remember who we are to him if we are not going to lose heart. And friends, we need to know that he is patient with us for us to keep bringing that prayer. Verse 7, we have a little translation issue in the back half of the verse. It says that... uh, Will he not bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Will he delay long over them? The verb there for delay, it doesn't really mean delay hardly ever. It's actually the verb for patience, to be patient with something. And there were no less, as I studied this week, than 12 views as to how to approach this particular clause. Just this clause. And so I'm looking at this, and it has me really confused, some of the views that are out there. Basically, a lot of the issue comes that some folks are like, okay, if it means patient with his elect, what has he got to be patient with them about? Wouldn't it be the oppressor or the adversary that he needs to be patient with? And there's just all this confusion going on. And as I'm looking through the views, and I'm talking about it with Renee, my wife, I think she she found the answer and hit the nail right on the head the first time. I say that to remind y'all, don't read the Bible alone. When you get confused, ask people and listen to people. Husbands, listen to your wives because sometimes they nail it on the head. I was reading all these scholars and they were running around in circles talking about all this stuff. And I'm pretty sure my wife nailed this one. She suggests that if the verb means to be patient with them and the really only them in the area to be talking about is the elect. This is a beautiful contrast to what the unjust judge does, right? Hearing the recurring prayer or request of the widow, the unjust judge is bothered. He is upset. He is disturbed. Shut up, woman. Quit yapping at me. And God is not so. In the repeated requests, 
the repeated appeal of his people, even over the same issue, bringing it to him again and again, crying out day and night. He is just the opposite of the unjust judge. It is not an annoyance. It is a beautiful outpouring of agreement with him because he too thinks it's unjust. And it's faith and it's confidence in him because we cry out appealing, Lord, do something. And he's like, oh, yes, I am going to do something. And we pray in agreement with his will. And, and we show that we want his will to be done and his kingdom to come. So we, when we pray, we can know as much as we bring it up, as often as we do it, that he is patient with us and, and he is willing to give us justice. The hard thing then, I think everything I've said so far resonates well with us and it makes sense to us. But then there's the part that's hard. It says in verse 8, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. We do not feel or sense most of the time in these cases that justice has come speedily, do we? Justice seems to lag and drag on and on and on. And this is where I I will not seek to explain it away 100%. But I want to tell us some things that can comfort our hearts as we wait on the Lord's justice. The first is this. Whereas often justice for us from heaven seems to lag and drag and carry out and string along, sometimes we do see justice in this life, don't we? It does happen that as his kingdom comes, we see seasons, times, instances of his justice in breaking into this world. Where he empowers groups to see areas truly be set right. See hearts truly set right. See the wicked stumble and be removed. This is something that he does at times. So we need to remember, it is not as if God is not at work now. And that there's no hope that he would act now? Of course there is. But at the same time, we also know that the ultimate reckoning of of the Lord bringing full justice and setting everything right is an end times event. That is going to happen upon his return as we see reference to at the end of verse 8. The the scriptures all throughout, especially the Old Testament, we get this idea that he is storing up his wrath to pour out in one great and mighty, terrible day of the Lord. And it's hard for us sometimes to come agreement with that. But why does he delay this mighty day? I was teaching Awana not two, maybe three weeks ago, and our verse was 2 Peter 3, 9, where... The same question has arisen. This time it's mockers and scoffers saying, Oh, when is the day of the Lord's coming? Where is this promise of his return? And Peter responds that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but rather he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all would have eternal life. So we know 
clearly from Scripture, one reason for the delay is his patience towards those who do not believe. If he brought the great and mighty day now, we'd have brothers, we'd have sisters who did not yet come to the Lord. That because he tarries, if we will have our boots on the ground, if we'll be doing the mission as we talked about a couple weeks ago, then we can see people coming to the Lord. So as long as he does tarry and this great and mighty day isn't there, I want to encourage us to be on the mission as it will see people come to faith. I want us to to close then by examining the final line of this and thinking about how faith plays into everything we've said today. In the end, he says, I tell you that he will bring about justice speedily for them. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? I pondered and pondered when I first read this over what on earth he's talking about there at the end. But I believe the linkage is this. In order to keep coming back to the Lord persistently in prayer and not losing heart, we have to have faith in what he has said. We have to have faith that he will come and deliver his justice. We have to have faith that his timing is right and true. And... The flip that I want to put to you today is if we find that we are not persisting in prayer, that we are not seeking God's justice through prayer, does this indicate a weakness in our faith? And I want to say this morning, I think it does. There is a relationship between persistent prayer and faith. And friends, when we fail to pray, we reveal that it is true in our hearts that our faith is weak. So I want to challenge us with that. We can't just say, oh yes, I have faith, but then I don't pray. If we really are having a weakness in our prayer life, there is a weakness in faith that corresponds to it. And I want to put it to you today as a challenge because I think that's exactly the tone that Jesus is taking at the end of this parable. I almost read it and think of it with this inflection. I tell you that he will bring justice for them speedily. You you question, will I bring justice? Of course I will. I'm a just God and I care more about the injustice than you do. I will bring justice speedily. I will hold up my end of the deal. I will prove to be everything that I am supposed to be for you, my bride, my church. But will I find faith on the earth? He says, I will be faithful, but will you be faithful? So I want us to remember that today. If if you're in this place where you're struggling through something, you've been praying over something, you've been praying over someone your heart is broken the matter and you're, you're wondering where God is and when God's going to come through. I plead with you, don't, don't test God in the sense of, of, Lord, act or I'm just over you. When we get to that place, friends, we are, our, our faith is weak and it's actually... The, the, the one who is wronging the other one in the relationship is just backwards of what you're feeling. You're feeling that he's wronging you because he is not acting. When the fact is you're wronging him because you're not trusting him. And he's so worthy of our trust. 
But friends, with that, I just want to appeal to you today to be honest about your prayer life. I know this has been a challenging one for me, praying for justice. It's one of those things, I, I pray a lot for things that arise in my life or things that arise in one of my brothers or sisters' lives, things that come close to home. But I really was challenged this week about some of those big issues, those abortion issues, those kids in really bad situations issues, those global persecution of the church issues that, uh, that we don't always seek the Lord on those and cry out that his kingdom come and believe for that day. My mother in the, uh, is in the dying process with a, a horrible disease, uh, systemic scleroderma. And as she has gotten in worse and worse condition, she has talked about the inherent challenge that has been put to her to let go of this life and reach for the next. And in this sense... I want us to think of posturing ourselves in prayer to reach for the next life. To delight in what is coming. To say, my heart is not satisfied with this unjust world. It is infinitely satisfied in my Savior. But I don't want to live here. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live in a world that undergoes what this world undergoes. The pain and the strife. I want to live in a world where Jesus is king. I want to live in a world where the kingdom has come. And friends, when we start to set our hearts that way, that's infectious and that gets in your heart. And then that's going to get in your prayer life that you want what's ahead. So I want to call us to that and challenge us to that and have faith that he will bring it. And he is good. I'll pray as the team comes. Oh, Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for what you do extend to us in the gospel, Lord. Not just, not just a quick get-out-of-hell card, but, Lord, a loving relationship that you love us, that you want the, the absolute best in this world for us, and that you have promised it to us. Lord, give us faith to want it, to seek it, and to wait for it. And dear Lord, hear our prayers and lead us to pray. And uh, forgive us the way that we, we do not. But Lord, we love you at Good News Bible Church, and we want to see you move in our hearts and move in our prayers um, to, Lord, see the kingdom come in little ways and in great ways. In the name of Jesus, our mighty King, we pray. Amen.